Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Shirley, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Each week, we will be releasing sermons and studies delivered directly from the pulpit at our church. Our goal with this podcast from Calvary Road Baptist Church is to make the gospel and sound biblical preaching more available to a wider audience. We hope that these sermons will be a blessing and an encouragement to you each week. As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. Psalm 34. Count it a high privilege to have this opportunity. Appreciate all you young people. Good to see you. Good to hear you. you. I don't know if you can hear it from back there or not, but when there's congregational singing, it's hot up here. They are letting it fly, and it sounds really good. And I encourage you all to keep that up. I appreciate that. Um, I've never been more tense about a message than this one. I've been this tense about maybe one before, but I don't know why. But y'all pray for me because this is a, I'm just tight. It's just all I can tell you, Psalm 34. It's a good message in, in, a, in a lot of ways. Uh, in some other ways, sometimes we just need to be challenged. Sometimes we just need to be shaken a little bit and stirred a little bit and woken up. And We live in a world today and I'm not young anymore, I get reminded of that pretty often, but it's not like anything Brother Dennis I've seen before. Now, now, the world has been in this place before. Matter of fact, it's been in a lot worse place than this before. There didn't used to be a beacon of freedom like the United States of America on the planet. It used to be if you were under Nebuchadnezzar, or you were under Ho Chi Minh, or you were under Joseph Stalin, or whoever you were under, you were just under them. And it's been a lot worse and still is a lot worse in a lot of places than it is here today, okay? So I'm not here to alarm you, but maybe I am here to just sound the alarm a little bit and get us to thinking a little bit, not about worldly terms, because you know what? We're, we're not going to rule the planet. We're not going to be in the majority. Now eventually, when Christ comes back, he's going to rule and reign with a rod of iron, Right? those of you who will be here for the millennial reign. But in the meantime, you know, we wish our president was a Christian. And I, I don't know. I don't know the president. I've never met him. Uh, he, he attends a Catholic church. That, that's all I really know. I don't know where his heart's at. I didn't know the president before him or the president before him or the president before him. I've never met our congressman. I don't know where those people are at spiritually. So, you know, maybe, there's, maybe they're for us, maybe they're not. But the Bible tells us is... is the songs have said that God's for us, amen, and he's over all the politicians, and he's over everybody everywhere, and he's still in charge. No matter what it looks like here, no matter how bad and tight and worried we can get, God's still on the throne, he's still reigning, this thing is rolling right along on his time frame. He didn't wake up this morning and start wringing his hands thinking, oh my goodness, what am I going to do if this happens? God is in control. That being said... God likes to use his people in order to further his process and, and advance his kingdom and his cause and lead others to Christ and do all those things. So I want to challenge you this morning, probably more than anything, I guess we'll call it a challenge. I, I, I want to help you. 
I want to encourage you. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Psalm 34, verse 7, and we'll get to it here in a minute. But if you're titling things and if you take a message, uh, I told Jerry, you could call this, He Delivereth Them. He Delivereth Them would be a title if you're taking messages this morning. So we're going to pray. We're going to start in verse 1. I want you to stay seated this morning because we're going to talk about them kind of as we go through them. I don't want to stand you up for a whole long time. We're going to get through these verses, and then we're going to take off, and we're going to lock in around verse 7 and 8. Okay? We good? All right, let's pray. Lord, I, I, I beg of you this morning. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for blessing me beyond my wildest dreams. I would have never imagined that I would be standing here doing this today and uh, having the blessings that you put in my life, but you're just that good. Lord, I pray you help me this morning. I, I've been faithful, uh, Lord, to do what you've called me to do, and it's not easy, and you know that. So, Lord, I pray help your people this morning for your honor and your glory. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Psalm 34, 1, David is the anointed king in waiting of Israel. Now, he's anointed king, and he's going to be king. Right now, though, there's another guy that sits in that place, and his name is Saul. Saul's not nearly excited about David being king as David is. But at this point, he is running from him. David has already, at this point in his life, he's slain Goliath. David, as a young boy, has faced a, a, a giant that all the men of war of Israel literally were shaking in their armor, staring at and little David, with a sling and a stone, took him out. Uh, we all know the story of David and Goliath. I just, sometimes we just, that kind of slips away from us for a little bit. David was called after that point to be the guy that soothed Saul. He would come and play music because Saul would have an evil spirit that would come upon him and it would depart and, and he would get all kinds of crazy. So they said, hey, I know a guy that can not only kill giants, man, he's pretty good on a harp and he can play and help Saul out. So he did. David is a military hero. He is a social icon. When David comes through the gates at Jerusalem, the girls scream, the men salute. He's, he's just a national hero, and rightly so. David is a man after God's own heart, and he is a hero spiritually, socially, in every, in every form of the world. David, at this point, is now the king's son-in-law. Saul saw fit to give him one of his daughters to wed. Uh, Saul meant it for evil, but God worked it out for good, I guess. And David is also the king's son's best friend. So I really you would think can't be getting much better for David at this point. Everything is lining up in his favor. But simultaneously, right to the beginning, the start of writing this psalm, David has some other things on his list. He's number one on the king's hit list. He might be number one on everybody else's list, but the only list that, that Saul is worried about is how can I kill him? That's a bad place to be. David is forced to flee to the enemy that he has wreaked havoc on in the form of the Philistines. He has to go to the king of Gath in order for cover to get away from Saul. And maybe, just maybe for the very first time in David's entire life, he's legitimately afraid. Maybe for the first time. And that's where the psalm takes off at, and that's the, uh, the head of it going into it. David says this in verse number 1. He said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now, there's enough in this psalm that we could literally spend a very long time here. But for time's sake, we're, we're going to go through it fairly quickly. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. 
And let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. David is most likely the king of praise in all of history. He loved to do it. He loved to lead it. He loved to live it out for all to see. He was no stranger to supernatural deliverance. David had been delivered of the Lord time and time again because, just a little, a little preliminary, David put himself in a position where only God could deliver him. David needed supernatural deliverance. Verse number 5. They looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and he delivereth them. That's our text verse, verse number 8, because it really needs to be in there. Is O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. That's absolute truth, and I want you to hold on to that thought for just a little while. The angel of the Lord is used various times in the Old Testament, and it's debatable. Most of the times people say that's what we call a theophany. That is a a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ, where he just showed up in the Old Testament, like when he talked to Abraham and some others. Bless you. And whether or not you believe that was actually Jesus or not, it really doesn't hinge the story that badly because we know in 2 Kings 19.35 where the Assyrian king and the general are mocking God and they're threatening Jerusalem and Hezekiah to wipe them all out and they had the manpower to do it. One angel of the Lord showed up in that story and when Israel or Hezekiah awoke the next morning, 185,000 soldiers were dead in their tents. Israel didn't have to shoot an arrow, they didn't have to lift a sword, they didn't have to do anything. So whether or not you believe this was just an angel angel or whether this was the angel of God is really irrelevant because either one of them was sufficient to to pull it off. Amen? He says this about it. He says, he encampeth around them. What in the world does that mean? Well, if you look the word up, it actually means to pitch a tent. It actually means really to set up for a siege. Probably when the Assyrians came and they were going to try to wipe out Jerusalem, they didn't just ride in and do it. They rode in, they set up camp, they got their military all set up, they put people all in place where they think they would need them, and they got ready to wage the war. Kind of the same thing. The angel of the Lord is going to set up, he's going to pitch a tent right here in the midst of those who fear him. Fear him. Fear means a reverential respect or a healthy fear. How many of you grew up with a dad that had a belt? How many of you had a dad that could get the belt off and he could just like, just like Clint Eastwood, like, what do you do? And he'd flip his hand. And you could hear it literally pop every yes. Miss Angela, as it come out, you knew it. And you feared him. Not because you didn't love him and not because you didn't respect him. Because you knew if you didn't do what he said, there was judgment coming. Amen? That's kind of the fear we're talking about. People say, well, you shouldn't have to fear the Lord. You most certainly should. If you don't know him and if you're not saved, you better fear him because you're going to meet him one day when it's too late to do anything about it. So you better fear him now while you got the opportunity. So he pitches a tent, he encamps, he sets up an abode or an abide with you for people who trust him and love him and do what he says. And then he says this, then he delivers them. Now when I read this verse, and every time, Brother Jeff, I have read this verse up till now, when I hear he delivereth them, Brother Toby, this is the delivering I want. How many of you watch Star Trek? Anybody watch the old Star Trek shows? Beam me up, Scotty. That's the deliverance I want. 
When I'm in trouble, I want the Lord to just zap me out of that place and put me someplace. I don't want to fight. God, you wipe them out in their sleep like you did everybody else. You just get me out of here. Amen? That's what I want. That's not what the verse says. Here's what delivereth means. To equip to fight. To equip to fight. To strengthen. Like to arm an army. So the angel of the Lord shows up to people who do what he says. People who fear him and love him and put themselves in a position where they could be in trouble. And then he sets up a camp with them. He gets all up around him and he says, here, here's a place where I'm going to abide and I'm going to be here with you. And then he equips them for the fight. Not the deliverance I want. Amen? But it's deliverance he provides. And if you start reading through your Bible, if you read it through much at all, you're going to find out that happens over and over and over to people who do trust him. You know who it doesn't happen to? Another little spoiler we'll get to a little bit later. People who don't put themselves in a position to need it don't get it. Amen. It's kind of like the old saying, Brother Jerry, we talk about this a lot. In order to get a miracle, you've got to need a miracle. All of us want to get one. Nobody wants to need one. And I'm right there with you. Amen. That's not the deliverance I'm talking about. But I got reading this verse and thinking about it. And because we live in a time that's the way that it is, you know, Christians are going to have to start making some... I'm, Reasonably sure, Christians are really going to have to start making some choices. Either you're in or you're out. Because I think they're painting us into a corner where you're going to, this, this casual Christianity, I don't think you're going to have that option much longer. And it's already going that way in a lot of other countries in the world. And I'm not trying to scare you. That's the last thing in the world I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to tell you that if you're kind of trying to decide whether you're in or whether you're out, they're going to make it to where you're going to have to make a stand. And when you make that stand, you know what you're going to need? You're going to need deliverance. Amen. That's what we're going to need. So all that being said, and we know all those things, how does God deliver them? How does God deliver these people that fear Him and that love Him and that He's encamping around Him? How does He do that? Well, the Bible's pretty replete with it, really. There's story after story after story. And I'm just going to give you a couple examples real quick because we're really moving towards the last point. Before you make a stand for the Lord or you fear and say, Lord, because you said that, I'm going to do this, even though it's not popular. Before you stand, God is already providing for your deliverance. Well, Tim, what do you mean about it? Well, let me give you a little example. Before Joseph would fear the Lord and stand to make a stand for his family and the preservation of all the nation of Israel, God was preparing the Midianites. The Midianites? Yeah. You know where the Midianites got Joseph? out of a pit. Now, Jewish history says there was a cobra in that pit, Brother Joe. I don't know if that's true or not. It's not in the Bible, so it's not absolute truth anyway. But the Jews say there was actually a cobra in that pit, and the Lord kept the cobra from biting Joseph. Whether there was or there wasn't, Joseph was probably going to die had the Midianites not come along. Now, we look at the Midianites. They were slave traders. What kind of deliverance is that, Lord? It was the deliverance he needed right then. God didn't just swoop him out of there and take him back home. That's what we want, Brother Marty, right? Lord, take me out of the pit, put me back at the dinner table, and chastise every one of my brothers because that's what needs to happen. God didn't do that. He prepared the Midianites to get David, or Joseph out of the pit. And then waiting in Egypt was a guy named Potiphar, and he would deliver Joseph from the Midianites. Another layer of delivery. Now, Joseph didn't know Potiphar. Potiphar didn't know Joseph. But somehow... 
God was already moving on Potiphar's heart about this young guy that was going to become that he hadn't met yet. But he was, he was creating favor in Potiphar's sight before he ever met Joseph that when he saw him, he says, I'll take him, which immediately put Joseph a leg up on everybody else, gave him a standing. And then prison would deliver Joseph from Potiphar and the wife. Now, real honestly, we've talked about this in many sermons. I know that we have. But can you imagine all the things that must have gone through Joseph's head when he was going to prison for something he did not do? Lord, are you kidding me? I'm sharing the gospel. I'm being faithful. I'm doing everything you told me to do in prison. It doesn't seem like deliverance, does it? But you know what it was? It was deliverance. God was putting Joseph in prison for a reason, and he was doing it in advance before Joseph took that stand. He had a prison ready for him. He had a guard ready for him down there. He had a place for him to be. As a matter of fact, he had some friends to him to meet. And then the Pharaoh, the leader of the world at that time, the leader of, we won't call it the free world, but probably the most powerful man on the planet happened to be in the throne room and, and calling all the shots. God was preparing Pharaoh to deliver Joseph from the prison. Isn't that an amazing succession of events? Joseph didn't know anything about any of it. You know what he did? He said, oh, God, deliver me. I fear you, God, and I trust how We never hear about Joseph complaining one single time. He never attempted to escape. He just went from place to place to place, from deliverance to deliverance to deliverance, and he says, you know what, God, I'm just going to trust you while I'm here. Now, I don't know, Brother Toby, if I got that kind of wherewithal within me or not. Just, God, I just trust you. You know, whatever, whatever you see fit, I know it's the right thing. But I do know several times along Joseph's stop, I would have been questioning God. God, can you put me somewhere, any, on an island, I don't care. In the South Pacific, just give me a sword, I'll fend for myself, this is not my deliverance. And then there was Esther. I just picked out a couple. Before Esther would fear the Lord enough to stand up for her freedom and the freedom of her people, God would use an arrogant king and a rebellious wife to deliver a vacancy in the royal leadership. Now you can debate whether or not Vashti was really uh, rebellious. I don't know. I probably wouldn't have come either if I was her. I get the whole thing. But that was a different culture. He was the king. She should have come. And it cost her the queendom, if you will, right? God was delivering that and set that up all before Esther had never knew any, probably before Esther ever knew these people. God would use the conquest of a nation, the nation of Israel, to deliver Esther, or Hadassah was her name, into the hands of her godly cousin Mordecai. Mordecai wasn't her daddy, wasn't her uncle. He was just an older cousin that apparently when her parents got killed, when they wiped out the nation of Israel, she fell into Mordecai's hands. And we don't have a lot of time to look at Mordecai this morning, but he was a godly man who was not afraid to take a stand. As a matter of fact, that's all. I don't think he ever sat down, Brother Joe. I think Mordecai just... He planted his feet and he stood and he didn't mind who knew it. And he would put his life at risk to do it. God used Haggai, the king's chamberlain, to deliver Esther into a position of favor with the king. Then God would deliver Haman, Mordecai, and the Jews' arch mortal enemy to anger the king enough to promote and provide Esther and Mordecai into positions of power to save their people. What a story. Do you know they almost didn't put Esther in the canon? They almost didn't put it in the Bible because the God is not mentioned anywhere in the book of Esther. You'll not find the name. But you know where God is? Delivering, 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 delivering all through the story. It's the providential hand of God moving all over to save his people and protect them. 
and, and he did it for Daniel, and he did it for Elisha, and he did it for David, and he did it for some of the kings, and he did it for some of the judges, and he did it for some of the prophets over and over and over again. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, for that matter, God delivered his people. He delivers supernaturally the people who have purposed in their hearts to take a courageous, dangerous, maybe even what you would call a radical stand for the things in the cause of Christ. Not comfortable and compassionate. God does not deliver the comfortable and compassionate. He doesn't. He delivers the people who take a stand. Are you with me so far? We still all right? So he delivers supernaturally. He also, why does he deliver them? This, is a, this could be really long, but I'm just going to give you a couple of them out of verse 8. He delivers them super personally. It's a super personal deliverance. He says this in verse number 8, which is why I had to include it. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. You know, I was reading that and I thought, taste, that's kind of weird. Why would he put taste in there? can't really taste the Lord. I got thinking about, you know, I'm at home and, I, and I, I'm watching television. I'm really not, but if I was. And this commercial about a great steakhouse comes on. Man, and they got this big fat T-bone on there. Pop, man, that thing just looks luscious. And I'm looking, I'm thinking, oh, it looks pretty good. But I really don't know how good it is, do I? I've seen it. I can kind of imagine I've had steaks like, but I don't really know exactly. So I come to church, and then Pop says, I was at that steakhouse. Man, that thing was just as amazing as it looks. I had it. Now, Pop had it. He knows how good it is. I know it looks good on the TV but I still don't really know how good that steak is, do I? What's the only way I'm going to figure out how good that steak is? I'm going to have to go get it. I'm going to have to go and taste it. You know, the people that God delivered, the people that we just mentioned, they knew personally. Now, a lot of other people looked on, and like us, we look down through the ages, and we see it, and we think, wow, that's amazing, and, and that's, that's awesome, and it is pretty spectacular, no doubt about it. But I guess the question is, have we ever experienced that firsthand? Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Have you been in a spot in your life where nobody could do anything for you but God? And you put yourself there on purpose. I'm not talking about accidentally, because we can kind of get there sometimes. But we're coming to a point where you're going to have to put yourself in a place to say, God, you know what, I'm just going to stand right here. I'm going to stand on your word, I'm going to stand on your principles, and whatever it costs me, it costs me. And you're going to have to deliver me if there's going to be a deliverance. Nobody, most of the people in the Bible and the people in the backdrop, they don't really know. And a lot of times we get saved and we get helped out because somebody took a stand and we're just the benefits of it. And it's nice and it's good, but we can't really taste it. And we really don't know firsthand how good the Lord is because we have not actually been there. Are you following me? David fought a bear. David fought a lion. David fought a giant, and he was running from one crazy king to another crazy king. And you know what David did the whole time he was going? He trusted the Lord. He never demanded of the Lord, Lord, you said I was going to be king, and you got me running around all here in the woods. I got to go to the Philistines. I'm sick of it. I'm just going to go camp out somewhere until you do something about this because I'm just tired of it. No, David kept going. He kept trusting. He could have killed Saul a couple times, but he did not because he knew that's not what the Lord demanded. He goes, you'll not lay your hand on God's anointed. You'll not do it because God said so. And even though it would advantage me and behoove me to do that and I could get to the kingdom right away, I'm not going to because God says that's wrong. 
David took a stand. He feared the Lord. And you know what? The angel of the Lord encampeth around him and delivered David time and time and time again. So he had the fear. He had the reverential respect. He was obedient to the Lord. The angel of the Lord was encamped around David. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that we actually have guardian angels. In the book of Matthew, it tells about young people's guardian angels. It says you actually have them and they encamp around us. Uh, to deliver. The Lord wants to equip us and strengthen us for the battle because the battle's coming. Our Bible tells us, I don't know if you read it that much, but it says, all those who live godly for Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And you know why if you're a Christian and you've never suffered persecution? There's really probably only one reason for that. Nobody knows. They don't know. We don't tell anybody. That's not taking a stand. That's undercover Christianity. And really, I kind of bless his holy name. That we're we're going to probably have to say something. Amen? We're probably going to get to the point where we're going to have to say, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm one of them. There's people right now in China doing it. There's people in North Korea doing it. There's people, Devonna told me we were reading the other day about how many, 40,000 Christians. Where was that at? Nigeria, maybe 43,000 Christians killed last year. Last 10 years, 43,000 killed. You know what they were doing? Loving Christ, having church, trying to do their best. It's coming. Do you hear me? It's coming, church. I'm here telling you this as, as, as kindly as I can, but it's coming this way. But you know what the good news is? The angel of the Lord encampeth around those that fear him, and he delivers them. So he delivers them supernaturally. He delivers them super personally. I, I should have given you a couple more verses, Jan, and I didn't. I don't know how long it'll take to get it. Could you look up Mark 24, verses 6 through 9? Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew 24. It probably helps if I got you in the right book. Matthew 24. Here's the hard part. This is the part I didn't really want to bring. When does he deliver them? Well, you know he delivered Joseph eventually, repeatedly, over and over again, different periods in his life. Delivered Esther, delivered, fill in the list. Delivered David multiple times. God did that. Sometimes he does that. He just shows up on time when we'd want him to come, and he delivers immediately. Sometimes, there you go, Matthew 24, verses 6 through 9 says, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See, that you be not troubled, for all these things, what? Must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines, and pestilences, and earthquakes, and diverse places. And all these are the... This is the beginning of sorrows. That's just when it's getting started. Verse number 9. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. They shall kill you. What? Kill me? They shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Is that in red letters in your Bible? Who's he talking to? Yeah, he's talking to us. He was talking to the apostles back then. They probably full well thought they would see it in their day, and some of them did. They all died a martyr's death except for the possible exception of John. Every one of them was either crucified or, or, or beaten or killed or whatever. God did not deliver every one of them immediately as... You know, beat me up, Scotty. It just didn't happen like that. Although I wish that's the way, that's what I want for me. You know why I really want that for, for this time? 
not really for me, Brother Joe. I'm 60. Remember, we're old, right, Pop? We've, we've seen a lot. We, we, we've got to do a lot of things. There's a lot of them that haven't. And I don't know how God's going to pull it all off. I really don't. But I know one thing, Brother Joe. If I never stand, I'll never know. If I don't ever stand, I will never know. Now, he tells me, you know what? You're not all going to make it. If you go on, we're not going to turn to it, but in the book of Revelation 12, 7, it says the two witnesses that are going around and they're, and they're doing everything God called them to do, Satan rises up against them and he kills them. And then it says in Revelation 13, 7, that he makes war with the saints and he overcomes them. You know what that means? They get killed. Now, we know the saints, when the saint dies, what is that? That's the ultimate deliverance. That's what we're looking at. We talked about that this morning in Sunday school. You know, it's, it's, it's nice and all, uh, but, but this is not our home. We're just passing through. We're just, we're just a vapor going through here, but we're supposed to make all the impact we can. And we saw about, yeah, I'll fly away. Everybody's not going to fly away when that trumpet blows. We need to be diligent to tell them because they also need to be delivered. And I was thinking about this, and here, here's the hardest part of the message. Now, there was a time when the church, I don't know if it was stronger than it is now, I don't really know. I know one time we had the moral majority and uh, we had a few more people in Congress and we seemed to get some more laws moved. But that's really not moving the needle a lot on God's scale. But in 1962, there was a law that got passed that said, we're going to take prayer out of school. We're going to take it out. Now, I was only one year old in 1962, so... I wasn't real big in that fight, Brother Tommy. I didn't stand for any of that. But you know what the church kind of did? Okay. We stepped away from the line a little bit. We said, hey, you know what? We can pray at home. No big deal. They're just taking it out of school. We'll just, you know, we'll still pray with ours. It really won't affect anything. And then in 1963, they said, we're going to take the Bibles out of school too. And I don't remember what the church did, but they got away with it. Bibles are still not in school, right? So the churches stepped back a little bit more. We didn't stand, apparently. I'm sure some people did. But the church at large and in the majority didn't say, we're not going to tolerate that. We said, all right, we have Bibles at home. No big deal. We can read them there. And then in 1973, we, we had this little court case called Roe v. Wade. But we're going to make it safe, rare, and legal. That way people won't get hurt. I don't know where you're at on abortion this morning, and, and we'll get to that in a minute. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to take away from any of the pain anybody's, I'm not. But we just stepped back a little bit and said, well, I guess if that's your, a woman's choice, then it's not up to me to say. And then in 1980, here in Kentucky, guess what? We're going to take the Ten Commandments off the wall. We're going to move them out because if somebody reads them, it was ridiculous that I don't have time to go over the whole court case, but if somebody reads them, they might meditate on them, and if they meditate on them, they might actually do them, Brother Dennis. They might not actually kill somebody, and they might not actually steal. For some reason, the Supreme Court thought, time, thought that was bad, so they took them out. And what did the church do, Brother Toby? I don't know, but they're still gone. 2020, let's move a little closer to home. You can't sing in church. Well, it's just temporary for a little while, you know, spreading germs and all that stuff. We just need to be careful. And most of the churches said, okay, I guess we'll just not sing. 
And then 2020, not long after that, they said, you can't go to church at all. And most churches shut their doors and do a live stream and do whatever. Now, I'm not, I'm not advocating rebellion. That's not what I'm saying yet. But I'm saying that's where we get. And if I was to go on with that and talk about pornography, sexual perversion, transgenderism, infidelity, relativism, if I just kept staking back, taking steps back, I would be so far out the building you couldn't even see me anymore. Where did I start at? Where did we start? Right on the front line of truth. But gradually, one step at a time, we move back, we move back, we move back, and now it's hard to even see sometimes where the truth is from where we're at. Let me give you just a really quick illustration, just a thought, and, and, and we'll be close to closing, okay? Let's say, for illustration's sake, that a big pharma company, we'll call them Big Farm or whatever you want to call them, I don't really know a lot of them, they came out with a revolutionary new study, new drug, and this drug, Brother Joe, you're not going to be on the front line for this one, literally reverses the process of aging. Amen. Exactly. Everybody's like, sign me up. You know what? With your eyesight, they've, they've tried it for a while. This is, I'm, this is hypothetical, okay? Uh, it, it actually, it, it's curing some forms of cancer. It's actually taking away arthritis. It's helping people that have lost their eyesight as they get older like we, we do, right? Amen? Eyesight's being restored. People that used to couldn't walk up and down the stairs, they're running 5Ks now. It is doing amazing things. It's practically the fountain of youth, basically. And they developed this thing. And you know what? We're going to give it away. It's such a good thing. We're going to give it to everybody. Anybody that wants it can have it. Wow. That's a pretty good deal. And not only that, um, it's going to be free. Well, somebody along the line is going to ask the question, where did this come from? What kind of, how did you, what kind of research developed this? So, well, we spent years on it. And what we found out is that we can take stem cells from a human medulla oblongata, the brainstem back there, and we can use them to develop this drug. And once we develop it, it's amazing powers, man. It's doing, we, there's never been anything like it. It's amazing. Where do you get the stem cells? Well, we get them from senior citizens. We, uh, well, do they just volunteer them? I thought you had to have your brainstem. Well, you do, but we just get them from senior citizens that really don't have a family. They're old. They don't really contribute to society anymore, so we euthanize them, and we harvest the stem cells because they don't, they're a financial burden to the economy. Their family don't have the money to take care of them. Uh, they don't have time to stay home with them. Uh, they can't financially. They just, so they're just older people who really... Nobody cared about them anyway. They had a very low quality of life. And we can take their very low quality of life and we can get these stem cells, put them out of their misery. We can take hundreds of thousands of people off the government payroll because they're healthy enough to work now and they keep, keep going. And we put them people out of their misery. We, we help everybody. Basically, we can give this to children and it helps everybody. So when you start getting away from the truth, that seems like a pretty good deal, doesn't it? And you know what? If they were to do that tomorrow there would be a whole lot of people that would say, I'm in for that. But you know what? That's a lie from the pit of hell. That's exactly what that is. When you have to kill another individual in order to make 
my health better if I had a disease and it was terminal and I was going to die no matter what in six months and they said, hey, this, this stuff from the senior citizens, that stuff, that'll cure what you got. I'd say, see ya. I'm not going to do it. Why would you do that? This happened recently, honestly, Brother Dennis. God so convicted me of this thought. So, Brother Tim, are you really standing for anything? Does anybody even know? If you quit standing for what you stood for, would it make a difference in anybody's life at all? And I thought, Lord, I don't know. I really, maybe I don't. Maybe I'm not standing like I think I ought to stand. Maybe I'm not being what I should be. Maybe I'm so cautious and so careful about trying to preserve everything around me that I'm just taking the easy way out because I don't want any danger. I don't want my family put in that position. I don't want to you know, take the breadwinner out and you know, have them fend for themselves. And then you know what the Holy Spirit told me? I gave them to you. You didn't invent them. <laughs> you didn't create them. And better yet, you can't care for them. If it really, really comes down, we've got ammo stocked up, we've got all these things, we've got food buried in the backyard, we've got all this stuff because we're going to survive it. There's only one way you're going to survive it. That's if the angel of the Lord delivered you. Amen? Amen. Let me give you just a few quick thoughts. And Literally, we are almost done. We'll probably be done by 12. You know what we should have said when they said we're going to remove prayer from school? My Bible says pray without ceasing. And you know what? I'm going to show up with my kid every day. We're going to pray at recess. We're going to pray at lunch because it probably really needs it. We're going to pray in the hallways. No, we're not going to interrupt anybody else. We're not going to be belligerent. But my Bible says pray without ceasing. And if my child wants to pray, they're going to pray. And if I have to show up to pray with them, I will. And if you want to kick us out, you'll kick us both out. Well, Brother Tim, they'd have just thrown you all out. Well, what if they'd have thrown out a couple hundred thousand and now they can't afford to fund the schools anymore because we're all starting our own schools and we're teaching them at home. What if we took a stand? Would it be different today? However many is 62. What are, we, what are we about 40, 60 years now? Almost 60 years. Would it be different? What about when they said, hey, we're going to take the Bibles out of school and I, we would have said, hey, thy word's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I'm not going to walk in darkness. I'm going to take my Bible with me to school and if you don't like that, I'll go somewhere else. But we're not going to let you do that. You are not taking God's word out of the schools because it's his word and it's his school. In the end of the day, it all belongs to him. And no, you're not going to do about that. What about in Roe v. Wade? When they said, hey, we're going to, we're just, it's just going to be for the women who are, you know, really, they can't support the baby and, and they can't do this and they can't do, thou shalt not kill. What about in cases of rape? Thou shalt not kill. What about in cases of incest? Thou shalt not kill. Brother Tim, you're not a woman. You don't, you're right. I am not a woman and I don't know what it's like. And I'm not trying to make this easy or belittle this at all. But what I am saying is when they can cloud the, the, the baseline issue with a bunch of emotional thoughts, we start thinking other ways than God. God said, thou shalt not kill. Is it right or is it wrong? Pretty quiet. It's wrong. It's wrong every single time. Just like it would be wrong to kill the senior citizens, wrong to kill the babies. When they said, hey, what? You know what? Uh, we're going to take the Ten Commandments out of the schools. We should have stood up. A lot of us weren't there then. said, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That building that you're going to take the Ten Commandments out of, that's his building. You ain't taking them. They're going to hang there. Now, if a kid wants to walk by and not read them, Miss Angela, that's fine. We're not going to have a test on them. But as long as that building's got a wall, it's going to be on it. And you're not going to take them away. Would it have made a difference? Don't know. 
He didn't really stand, did he? Move a little farther. Hey, God, no singing in church. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Now, if you're health vulnerable and, and you think it's a good idea to stay, I understand that. I'm not telling anybody to come or not come. I'm not telling you that. But I'm telling you when the government's overreaching arm comes in and starts saying things contrary to the word of God, somebody needs to stand up. Amen? Yes, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Well, you know what? Just for that, you can't even go to church. Well, I got a little book of Hebrews back here that says, Forsake not the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, even more so as you see the day approaching. You need to assemble. We're going to assemble. Well, we'll throw you in jail. Well, I guess you will. I guess you'll just have to do what you'll have to do because I'm going to take a stand and you do what you got to do, but I fear God and I'm going to do what God says to do and I'm not Mr. President, Mr. Governor. I'm not trying to be disrespectful and I'm not calling them names in any way, shape, or form. You should pray for your leaders every day. You should pray that God saves them. You should pray that God directs them. You should pray that God does whatever they need, but we should never be disrespectful to a leader. As a matter of fact, the Bible even tells us not to, what's the word I'm looking for? It's in there. It says something about not the gods of your leaders. It says don't, don't it's not condemn the gods of your leaders, but they're actually saying, you know what? Don't, don't talk about the gods of the people who are in charge. Don't even do that. You can talk about your God all you want to, but don't chasten them for the God that they have. The Bible tells us that. You know why we're where we're at today? We just didn't stand. Now, why didn't we stand? I don't know. How many of us are guilty? Yes, yes. I have not stood. There's places I could, and I didn't. I'm afraid you're, you're playing some more. Would you come up, please? Yeah, there's times when I didn't stand, and I'm guilty. And that's, I guess, what I should have done is sat a chair right here and put a big cardboard cutout of me in it and preached to me because that's what God was doing to me all week. So you're going to stand? I'd love to deliver you, but I need you... I need you to be for something. You know, I need you to be for your grandkids. I need you to be for your kids. But first of all, I need you to be for me. See, you can't help them. You can't help your church necessarily unless I help you help your church. You can't help the bus kids unless I help you help the bus riders. You can't help the teenagers unless I help you help the teenagers. And if you'll not take a stand, then I can't, you're not putting me in a position to deliver you. I would love nothing more than to come down and encamp around you, set up a camp right there with you, and equip you for the battle that's going to be bad. Man, it's going to be a humdinger. It's going to be like nothing you've ever seen. But if you'll read through the Bible, you've seen I've not, I've won a couple. Not talking about me, talking about the Lord. You look through there, you see I've, I've won every one I've got involved in. The only ones I have not won are the ones I didn't get involved in. He's waiting to get involved till we get involved. What did the song say this morning? If it's important to you, it's important to him. Let's stand. I don't know. I really don't know where you're at this morning. But if you're anything like me, you probably sat when you should have stood. And we're all guilty. Every one of us is guilty. And you know what? God knows that we've made mistakes and God knows our hearts. And he knows that we're sorry. Let's quit being sorry. Let's stand. Say, God, you know what? I'm afraid. God says, I know. It'll be all right. If it's important to you, it's important to me. Will you stand?
for something, church, you don't have to stand for everything. Are you standing for anything? If you quit standing for what you're standing for today, would it even make a difference? I don't know. I know a lot of you are doing a lot of really incredible things, and uh, God will love you for it. Lord, I thank you this morning. Lord, I beg your forgiveness for being a coward. I do. I have stood and watched when things have gone on, just hoping somebody would get in the battle and somebody would stand their ground, but Lord, it should have been me. I really should have been the one, and I wasn't. And Lord, as we've already talked about, I'll stand. Lord, I don't know how the battle's going to come out. I, I, I don't know, but I know this. You said you'd encamp around me, and you deliver me. Whatever that deliverance is, it's over and over in the Bible. It's always been at your time, at your pace, and your conditions. And ultimately, Lord, even if they kill me, uh, that's my ultimate deliverance. I pray you help me this morning, Lord. Help me to stand for those that can't stand. Help me to stand for those that won't stand. Lord, help me to stand everywhere you want me to stand and be the Christian you've called me to be. God, I love you so much. I'm so sorry. So sorry that I've not been what I could be. I pray you help us this morning. Lord, I pray you give us strength. I pray you help us to stand and make a difference. And Lord, when we stand, It's going to be so exciting to watch a supernatural God come down and supernaturally, super personally deliver us right where we are that others may taste and see how good our Lord is. And all God's people said, amen. Let's be in an attitude of prayer if you would. We've got some on the altar here. It's not too late. If you haven't been, there's still time. If I've hurt you in any way, shape, or form this morning, Totally accidental. I didn't mean to. And if I did, I apologize. And if you disagree with anything I've, I've said, I, bring me chapter and verse and we'll go over it and I'll retract it if need be. Uh, I certainly don't want to do anything that's not pleasing to the Lord. I hope you've gotten some help this morning. I hope God has knocked on your heart's door and let you know. All those that live godly for Christ Jesus shall suffer Persecution is coming. It's coming if you're standing. Now, if you're ducking and hiding, I I don't know what to say to you. But I understand you. I understand it. I do. It's a scary time. It always has been, right, Brother Dennis? Since Christianity started and they were killing him in the arenas, it's always been a scary time. It's not going to get easy until he comes back. But until then, let's stand. Uh, Let's close in prayer this morning, Brother Joe. Would you mind to close us in prayer? Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon, and we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord. Thank you.